नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चारबाग पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा टाइम टू डिस्कस द बजट आई वाज वेटिंग फॉर अ फ्यू डेज टू पास बाय बिकॉज़ इफ आई वुड हैव डिस्कस द बजट अ कपल ऑफ डेज अगो रिहाना वुड हैव ईटन मी अप सो द गुड डिसीजन वाज दैट आई डिड नॉट डिस्कस द बजट एट दैट टाइम सो नाउ अ लिटिल बिट ऑफ वाटर हैज फ्लोन अंडर द ब्रिज एंड वी कैन नाउ हैव अ पीसफुल डिस्कशन ऑन द बजट एंड टू डिस्कस दिस आर माय टू फेवरेट कमेंटेटर्स सो हर्ष एंड आशीष थैंक्स फॉर कमिंग ऑन द पॉडकास्ट थैंक यू कुशल Thanks for okay, so, so so let's let's do it this way, guys. So, uh, I'm gonna. So this question is gonna be a common question for both you and uh, Ashish. So Ashish, I'll start with you, and then we'll go to hers. So uh, f- uh, let's start with this. Uh, Ashish and both Ashish and her. So Ashish, you go first. What are your initial thoughts about the budget overall per se before we get into the nitty gritty? Yeah. So uh, in my view, uh, the budget basically. uh prioritize growth in a big way and not just for next year but also for several years to come the government did that by creating fiscal space by saying that the fiscal deficit will be 6.8% next year but more importantly the glide path takes you to 4.5% in 2025-26 which means that if the government wants to spend more in a given year in this five year period uh they will have space to do that typically the governments have been working at working to achieve a 3% fiscal deficit i mean we have been at 3.9 i mean 4.3 3.9 we came down to 3.5 but uh, 3% was not achieved so the, the general that has been the general let's say expectation of the rating agencies and of the uh, you know the the uh, the commentators that government will get there but now good thing is because now the government has already signaled a higher number that is the expectation which has been set so people will not keep questioning government every year as to what is your fiscal plan per se right so i think that is a big uh, big positive and i think it is coming good thing is that now that the economy is actually stabilizing and the tax collections are increasing and so on the government actually will have more spending room in that sense because uh, they, if if they, if they undershoot the fiscal deficit it will, it will not be because of spending it will be because of higher tax revenues which is actually a very positive thing and uh, this also basically takes care of the undue attention in some ways which was being given to rating the opinions of rating agencies uh, in the sense that uh, we were far too conscious far too conservative on in, in our own uh, you know the fiscal stance which has now been taken care of so to me that was a that was one big takeaway the second one was on the policy side the budget actually although you see budgets have been become have become redundant in some ways when it comes to policy formulation in the last 5 6 years bulk of the work is happening outside the budget actually you know and it happens through, through the year it is not like you know slated for like one day a year so in that sense uh, the policy signaling is not uh, you know like very uh, 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 common in budgets these days but in this this budget had a very important part on the divestment the way, what government said was that they will look at four strategic sectors which is banking and financial services minerals being one telecom and transportation being another one and there's one more i and defense of course defense and some kind of manufacturing so the, the government will essentially uh participate only in four strategic sectors only with a few psus the rest of the psus will be either be, either be made subsidiaries of others or they will be uh you know divested in the non strategic sector which is everything outside of these four areas the government now proposes to sell everything which is like a huge statement uh i mean remember that we haven't we actually haven't sold any psus since 2004 uh after the vajpay government i mean this government has done some divestment in the form of etfs and uh some subsidization etc and some uh, mergers mergers etc but not not like a privatization per se so that uh, now becomes a uh, potentially becomes uh, a reality 
and for several PSUs. I mean, uh, hundreds of them, uh, basically. So that is like a huge statement to make. And of course, it will need a lot of political will. And the threats of strike has already started. Uh, the, the, the public sector bank, the unions of the employee union of the banks has already said that they will go on a strike and stuff like that. But I mean, that is to be expected in the current uh, environment. So to me, those were the two major directional things in budget. I mean, we can talk about the details later, numbers, etc. But I think those two things stood out for me. So Harsh, what about you? What 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 were were your initial thoughts? Let's say once you heard the budget, the you know the honourable finance minister's speech as as it commenced. So what what were your thoughts? So I think the big takeaway was exactly what Ashish mentioned. I think when she mentioned nine point five percent will be the fiscal deficit number for FY twenty one. Um, you know, it was it was that it was that moment that that you knew uh, that uh, the prime minister and the finance minister and the entire government had taken the leap of actually saying, okay, we have to do what we have to do to get growth. Um, and as the economic survey just a few days before the budget had mentioned, in India especially, growth leads to sustainable debt to GDP trajectory and not uh, reduction of fiscal deficit. Uh, uploaded up front per se so i think that that it was that there is no right kind of formula to kind of un understand that although to me to a lot of people it might seem like common sense i would say but it was a contentious call the government has been very fiscally conservative or relatively fiscally conservative over the last six seven years especially the first three four years of modi's first term uh, and you know that that was fisc fiscal probity <laughs> along with uh, the, his first two appointees uh, being relatively hawkish on the monetary side was a key part of Modi's image so far. Now, the problem was that was overdone. So I'll give you a very quick example just to give a broader context. Abenomics in Japan had three arrows. You know, when Shinzo Abe was the prime minister of Japan, it had a you know, monetary easing, fiscal easing, structural reforms. And actually, structural reforms is the thing that Shinzo Abe least delivered on. But monetary easing and fiscal easing happened a lot. In India, it was the opposite. The last few years, there was a lot of structural reforms. We actually get fiscal easing and monetary easing to the extent we needed. Uh, in some cases, under Urjit Patel, especially, I think monetary policy was in a very wrong direction. So now that is very, very strange in a democracy when you see structural reforms are apolitically contentious because there is some Western interest group which loses. We're seeing that with, with farm protests right now, so called farm protests right now. As Ashish mentioned, we are going to see more and more union strikes for bank nationalization being reversed effectively. So for a government to push structural reforms like GST, IBC, RERA, you know, many other, uh, for example, formalizing the economy, cracking down on Benami transactions, etc. And not put the, you know, like you're doing some, you're only going to gym, but you're not having sugar at all uh, for 12 months. You know, it sounds good, but for most people, it's not realistic. Uh, so for the idea is that by not doing that, this government to get re-elected in 2019 with a bigger mandate shows the kind of excellent politician without any moral judgment one way or the other that Narendra Modi is because he had excellent delivery on the ground for, for kind of micro-welfare initiatives, Janthan, uh, sanitation, uh, you know, all these yojanas. And of course, you know, the, the cultural side, the national security side. So in a way, he was playing with one hand tied. The, he and he personifying the Indian economy to that extent, we were playing with one hand tied. Now we have said we'll play with both hands. And we are basically trying to copy all growth models, you know, from 
uh, two door england to uh, you know you uh, colonial america or post just post colonial america germany and then east asian countries infrastructure manufacturing and exports the only difference in our case is our exports are more services than manufacturing and on manufacturing we are playing more defense than offense so we are basically saying we will do whatever it takes to build infrastructure whatever it takes to do make in india whatever it takes to do atmanirbhar bharat so if it requires industrial policy pli subsidies will do that if it requires some tariffs we'll do that if it requires an active currency management over and above volatility uh, just volatile looking at volatility like rbi used to do for the last 10 15 years we'll do that on infrastructure if it requires invits and reits we'll do that more tax incentives we'll create a you know we'll create a dfi we'll create a development financial institution for infrastructure we'll do whatever it takes to make sure infra and manufacturing gets done because services exports is one thing which is anyways on autopilot with covid and zoom and work from home and our educated workforce and so on and so forth and the cost differential so the other two legs of the tripod so to speak where we were historically failing we have basically now decided to throw everything at it we will get it done no matter what whatever the shortcomings and nuances so this budget says we will get it done that is the big message i think that's why the market rallied that's why there is a lot of feel good sentiment because there is a sense of a self imposed hindrance for such a large economy which has never defaulted to this go by you know you like go with an accountant mindset kitna hona chahiye itna hona chahiye they're saying no you need to first have a growth mindset so i think that is the big shift um given the government's dna so far itself and i think that's that is the big headline here so kishu so sir i just had one point here which i found also found interesting see this time the way the budget was presented in the first section the fm talked about healthcare as a whole now if you really look at the allocation of the 2.3 uh, lakh crores which has been made for next year uh, not all of it actually goes to mohfw right so it doesn't go to the health i mean the health ministry a lot of it is stuff like uh, sanitation swachh bharat uh, you know a lot of the preventive well being type measures have also uh, also been put into healthcare bucket as a as a statement i actually feel that the government might be readying for a consolidation in the government itself uh, with that kind of a messaging that the budget should be done for uh, a cause and not by the ministries typically as we know the uh, budgets in india are assigned to the ministries right each each ministry gets a headline number this time if you see even the commentary not many people have done this typical annual exercise of kare last year isko itna mila is saal usko itna mila i mean i think the only comments which were made were for education and for health where actually the numbers have gone down for education 6000 crores lesser and of course defense because that's the headline number which everyone looks for but not a lot of analysis happened this year on individual scheme allocations and individual ministry allocations so i feel that this might actually be a signaling for what might come down the line which is that the budget itself may become less ministerial driven and hence the ministries themselves may get get merged or consolidated yeah but in health don't you think ashish a big reason for uh, a significant chunk being increases also that the amount allocated for the covid vaccination too right so that we'll have to figure in that aspect uh, when it comes to the allocation of the co- uh, of the health uh, budget right yeah no absolutely no i'm not questioning that i'm saying that a lot of stuff which was typically not called health was now called health in this budget so i think that is like a signaling for other ministries that you may become redundant in 3 4 5 years time that that was my point All right. So now let us actually. I wanted to continue on what Harsh was talking about the fiscal deficit aspect. Now I was actually even I was pleasantly surprised with uh, the kind of shift the government has taken because uh, that this is just a fact that every budget before this has been a very different kind of a thing where actually uh, Harsh actually hit 
hit the nail right where it should have been where uh, it was like it it very it, it it was very account you know it was an accountant style of doing things ki mere debit side mein ye hai mera credit side mein ye hai i am matching my balance sheet my balance sheet should match and everything should look nice and i need you know i care about this rating so how much do you think and this is again for both of you so ashish you can go first how much of this uh, you know push away from that uh, obsession with uh, you know being fiscally correct uh, has got to do with the pandemic in your view i think uh, i think see a good crisis should never be wasted as they say in policy making right so obviously a crisis comes through you have to kind of capitalize on it so i think of course there's impact of that uh, pandemic in the thinking of the way government is looking at but uh really speaking uh, the in mean, the fiscal question is just one part of the policy making if you really see the the big changes already happened in the previous year right in terms of labor reforms farm laws uh, defense manufacturing fdi increase uh, mining decontrol licensing decontrol and privatization um you know all of that stuff had already taken place in the last 4 5 years so i think the fiscal part was just a logical continuation that we have anyway looked at doing seven eight different things already you know in a i mean big headline numbers and government had like hundreds of things but let's say five six big items uh then the fiscal part just becomes a logical continuation so in that sense it's not very surprising that it has happened but of course a pandemic would that has played a role but that that also that role also started playing not now but in may last year yeah so no so but my point was that harsh if uh, what worries me at times is that if we would not have been hit by this pandemic i i i i start get worried you know i always get worried that why does it take such a huge catastrophe in our country for us to do what basically should have been done in the first place that's what worries me I, i'm just trying to play the devil's advocate here because i mean somebody has to because koi criticize hi nahi kar raha is budget ko <laughs> no i i think kushal it's a, that's a valid question i think what has happened is that because of the pandemic governments all over the world obviously basically have opened up their you know their fiscal taps so to speak and that has created an environment if that you know if the rating agencies for example go out and uh, remove us from investment grade to junk grade um you know while basically tolerating all the other countries uh, or all the other major economies rather uh, with having double digit fiscal deficit to gdp ratios that would be absolutely untenable and blatantly hypocritical right so so i think to that extent one must agree with you that the government also kind of took part of the zeitgeist and as ashish was saying capitalized on you know on this crisis a very tragic crisis but you had to capitalize it from a public policy point of view um yeah so maybe so so your point stands that you no know, why was this kind of fiscal glide path to 4.5% in fy26 which is earlier supposed to be i don't know 3% or something um or 2% or something why was that not done earlier it because uh, you know for example right after re-election this government actually increased the top marginal uh, direct income tax and if you remember there was a ma- massive kind of sentiment dampener for the markets and in general the government came across as uh, perhaps being slightly overconfident on the economy right after re-election and but since then it seems that the government has to its credit been very uh, been willing to reorient uh correct its mistakes learn and then actually do much better so it's been one step backwards and two or three steps forward and i must say that the finance minister uh who initially got a lot of brickbats has really grown into the role you know what happened what i mean i just wanted to mention that because you know when for example that june 2019 budget was so 
terrible or terribly perceived, for example, rather. Uh, there are, of course, many moving parts. The tax was only one small part of it. Uh, she got all the brickbacks. But now, in this case, it's important that we also give her due credit. Of course, the PMO is very important in all governments, especially this government. But the line ministry must also get due credit. And I think your your broader point stands. But nonetheless, at least given the right guys, we capitalize on that. And that is none, that is still a broad that is still a brave call because we are not a developed economy. We we don't have a triple A rating. Uh, you know, so I, I actually wrote a tweet today saying that I'm assume there are two countries. There's one country with a billion people and three thousand dollar per capita income. Okay, so that's a three trillion dollar GDP. There's another country with ten million people, but thirty thousand dollar per capita. Income. So like hundred times less the people, but ten times more the per capita income, and therefore ten times less GDP. Now rate and you have similar debt to GDP ratios. You've never defaulted in both the countries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What rating agencies do is actually one of their key criteria is per capita income, GDP per capita, which to me makes no sense. Because let us say if India opens up, which is gradually opening its capital account, that you have a two two and a half trillion dollar sovereign bond market in Indian rupees, very liquid. You know, for a smaller economy, you cannot access that. So if we kind of forget why quantity has its own quality, and there are there are issues with rating agencies, uh, partially out of maybe some bias, or conscious or subconscious, partially also because India and China are such outliers in terms of size. Right? What would what would be kind of understandably apply applicable to most countries simply does not apply to that extent for billion billion and a half countries, whether it's uh, financial flows or trade flows. So, so I think without attributing too much malice, uh, there was a lot of kind of unconventional thinking required, and the government was conservative in a small sense. Uh, but now with the pandemic, they said, okay, fine, let's just kind of rip off the bandage and ek bar mein sara. Let's, uh, and one thing that both Ashish and I have not mentioned so far is that the fiscal deficit is not just increased, it has been made transparent. So all, off, all the off-budget borrowing in terms of FCI, food corporations, small saving funds, everything is basically, there's no, um, there's no any other line item. Now you don't have to separately calculate what is the real consolidated deficit of the Union Government of India. Okay, the numbers are what they are. And they, last year, there was already a big improvement on this because they had given a separate annexure in, in the form of a document. This year, they've just put it all in the same number. So like, you know, what happens when a new CEO comes into a company and the company had a bad three, four years, the CEO basically says he takes a lot of these one-time losses. And they say, okay, now onwards, because some of his stock options might be valued accordingly, whatever. They say, okay, we have a clean start. So the pandemic has given us a clean start in more ways than one. And the government has basically capitalized on that. Yeah, and uh, Harsh, just to double down on your point, I actually want to make put this on record on the podcast from my end also. I have been absolutely horrified with the kind of comments that have been made on the finance minister at a personal level, even in the past budgets. And it it is, you know, if you're going to give her the brickbats for all the things you have, uh, the government has done in the past in the budgets, it is only fair that you give, uh, you know what, I'm not going to give any credit to the prime minister. If you're going to give all the blame to the finance minister when the budget goes bad, then you give her all the credit when the budget, budget is good too. So, so I'm just saying it. Uh, I mean, you know, if, if it's bad. And you want to blame the finance minister? If it's good, all the blame, uh, all the credit also goes to the finance minister. She has been absolutely. Uh, what I liked about her is the way she has handled herself. I think uh, I, I've always been a fan of Nirmala Sitaraman. Anyways, I think she's a very gracious, you know, lady, and the, the way she has uh, carried out herself uh, throughout the nasty attacks, which sometimes I mean, 
डोंट नो वहां पर मिसॉजनी नहीं आती है हमारे पोलिटिकल कल्चर में बाकी सब चीजों में आ जाती है फाइनेंस मिनिस्टर को कुछ भी बोल सकते हैं बट एनी वे सो आई हैड वन मोर क्वेरी अबाउट द बॉन्ड मार्केट सो आशीष देर इज बीन a higher than expected i think around 164 billion uh, dollar plan for the new fiscal year so it might affect uh, the state of the sovereign bonds so are you worry about uh, worried about that in any way see um, the borrowing of the government will obviously go up which is what that 6.8% of the uh, in fiscal deficit means right i think we will borrow about a lakh crore more next year uh but if you could borrow if you could borrow more this year which was a pandemic year when there was no growth no revenue no tax collection and we managed that borrowing program um doing the same in a year where you are expecting at i mean the growth figures are 10.5% for rbi 11.6% for the finmen 11.5% for the finmen and about 12% for the i think uh, 12 was a number in the financial in the economic survey i think right so uh the At, at a conservative midpoint level of 11.5% growth next year which is expected i mean i'm pretty sure that the government can manage that 1 lakh uh, crore extra borrowing uh, of course the bond deal the 10 year indian bond deal did shoot up that day uh, on the budget day while the stock market was cheering the bond traders were probably not very happy that day uh, the the yield shot to 6.06 i think at the peak which from 5.9 odd so there was a good 16 beeps uh, rise in the yield so that uh, obviously rbi has to work on it and i think today rbi did signal the accommodative stance which means that they will do some open market operation that sector in the next few months to kind of bring down the yield again but yes i mean of course the yield cannot be 6% uh, it's too high because if the government is borrowing at 6% then um, you know the the companies obviously have to pay a premium on top of that so uh, the the fact that some of the loans which have become cheaper in the last 2 3 years i mean uh, that has to continue and in fact they have to become further like cheaper further from where they are in the in the for the corporates and for the retail borrowers uh rbi also announced a very interesting uh, program today called retail direct where they want the retail investors to buy the government bonds directly um i don't know how it will be implemented i think the implementation will be the key because rbi really is not in the business of servicing customers so i'm i really hope that they design this properly when they say that you can open account with rbi but nonetheless uh, what it means is that over the next few years what's going to happen and i mean this may not happen next year so the government borrowing problem continues for next year which needs the yield management has to happen next year but in general let's say over the next 5 6 10 years as the financialization increases this the money which the people have been putting in fixed deposits or in let's say markets or 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 doing nothing with their money in some cases will probably some of it will get allocated to the gsex which is a very interesting proposition i i'm not sure i mean this is some for someone to model what what money will go to the gsex versus the banks versus the fds but a pretty interesting idea which i'm sure is one of the levers which the rbi intends to use for managing government yields over a period of time i mean it's a, it's a continuous uh, lever it's not something for next year it's it's going to have a long term impact okay another question harsh i have because i know you've been very vocal about this subject and we've had multiple discussions but uh, from what i've understood india has raised certain import tariffs on solar and mobile phone equipment and auto parts now what how what kind of an effect do you think is it going to have on our export exporting capability it might have a short term boost for our local domestic consumption or manufacturing capacity but uh, what what do you think is going to happen to our exports in this in this in this line question hi Hard. um sorry sorry i had to just plug my laptop uh, running no out of battery uh, i no think problem. i i'm not sure about what happens specifically with 
some motherboard import tariff extension or increase of two and a half percent and something on solar energy or solar batteries because that's the whole point of industrial integrity that it's very very uh, specific to that particular sector in industry you want ideally uh, imports uh, raw material uh, raw material imports to be as to get as low duty as possible and you want uh, the post value add product or post realistic value add that you can do in india for the time being given the current state of industrialization you want that post value add product to be as highly or relatively highly uh, duty so sir, you basically want to incentivize uh, getting cheap raw materials doing the value add and therefore having some protection from competition on a time bound basis there should always be sunset clause so that's a broad idea of industrial and trade policy the problem is of course if you go by a libertarian theory you can say that well the government can never pick winners and i think the truth is somewhere in the middle the, the government can pick winners the government is, can also be very bad at it and government can also be corrupt at it you can also get lobbying by various industries and and for example the pli schemes in a government which is probably less uh you know attracted to financial probity at the top perhaps could easily be compromised so there are all kind of flip sides to it somebody like dr arvind panavaria would tell you a better way to incentivize exports is to have a lower currency um and you know or have a some, something have a very flat non sector specific uh pli slash duty so that you don't basically end up picking winners now the the reality is you need all hands on board as i mentioned you need something on subsidies you need something on tariffs you need something on the currency side as well if you try to keep the currency too weak you'll have too many rupees in the indian market because you're buying dollars and therefore you're releasing rupees in the local market and therefore you have all kinds of inflation and local monetary macro issues so i i i think on the whole some complaint by the industry is understa understandable i think in the cell phone case they were saying uh this particular item the 2.5% has been added on tariff we don't really manufacture uh so we'll just end up importing from china in any case the phones will be slightly more expensive now they're saying that uh it might be true i'm not an expert on the industry but it might also be happen might also happen in the next 6 months somebody might start manufacturing that and as it happens that you know the tata with the taiwanese company they just invested around 6000 crores and i think tamil nadu for another cell phone uh, production plant so uh it's very it's very very sector specific but i think broadly speaking this push is the right push right now even though a lot of people disagree urjit patel disagrees in financial times recently dr panagaria who we all respect he disagrees but it's a 3 4 year thing where we have to do to make sure that uh we get some uh chinese production relocated not just to vietnam but also to india uh vietnam is very close to china it's very close to hong kong it's very easy for people to relocate india is a kind of a different fish altogether um so i think right now it's needed but uh, i am also skeptical from it from a long term point of view but right now i think it is the it is the best of bad options hmm now let's get into the uh, things that uh, there was a very gushu sir just one comment here there was a very good report from nilkant mishra of credit swiss where he explains this whole mobile phone manufacturing situation in that report he has assessed that the assembly cost of any phone let's say between low end and high end could vary between 3% to 8% now what the government is doing is essentially a government is saying that the incremental sales of phones you will get a, a part of that sales value back right as that that's what the what the pli is you you've pegged it to sales and not to the value added so what happens is that the effectively 
the government is going to give a, give a, give back practically all assembly cost to the to the to the company which is manufacturing in india for the phones sold in india and this doesn't even include exports per se just the indian volume will take care of it uh, i think that is a very very interesting proposition because that will attract the assemblers and once the assemblers are in india they can go beyond that piece and and start produ- uh, you know once 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 you are kind of tied in into india because for 5 years you have uh, you know uh, uh, you have been reimbursed for practically all, the entire cost of the over the oem will essentially be reimbursed to the oem right so the assembly, i mean the the assemblers essentially set up for free in india i mean fr- from that perspective so i think that is what the catch is the government is trying to put the hook in the right place where get the right intermediaries which will then be able to move in either direction doing doing more low end work and doing more high end work so that was a great report unfortunately it's not a very public report so but but he had the best explanation uh, of 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 this phenomena all right so now let us get into some of the things that i think were very good in the budget so i'll start with something from my field and uh, I, I just to put it on record the government has announced i think seven textile parks and this time what they're calling it as is our mega textile parks now i have not read the fine print because the government never comes out with the fine print uh, for a while they they plan to open these mega textile parks in the next 3 years now my only hope and i'm praying that uh, they don't make the mistake is usually what happens is when the governments make these parks they make it for spinning weaving and uh, and they end it there they don't add the dyeing and uh, yarn dyeing and those aspects in it then then it does not create the holistic effect which should be uh, in a textile park but from the looks of it uh, the government is open to the idea so if it is open to the idea this is a very good thing uh, again circling back to you know my cha- my chat with uh, harsh and uh, professor panagaria i think uh, one of the uh, you know things that he mentioned and he actually put a very serious focus in his book was apparel manufacturing and textile should be the sector for the next 20 to 30 years that india can get a lot of easy low skill jobs uh, in this country i just hope uh, you know the textile ministry i i i have no information that the textile ministry is doing this is not a criticism of the textile ministry this is just a hope from them i just hope they actually reach out to some uh, manufacturers and big big buying houses outside india and they they create some sort of an atmosphere so that is something that i like now i want to get into something very specific over here with you guys and let's get into the details obviously you guys have mentioned that the unions are uh, already getting into it because the government has talked about the big word disinvestment so now uh, uh, the government has said uh, if i remember correctly it was two banks right that, that they're going to disinvest uh, two banks now obviously they have not uh, they have not uh, announced which bank it is going to be at least i don't know which bank it is going to be and uh, it was also said there was something to be done in terms of uh, lic now here's the thing um, uh, so let me lay it out for both of you now just like we had it with the farm laws right fundamentally there is nothing wrong in this legislation fundamentally there is nothing wrong in in a in a bank disinvestment too now i don't know i have a feeling that maybe the bank disinvestment will not be as much as a problem of uh, let's say in comparison to a farmers bill simply because i think it is not an emotive subject it's not like there is a you know bank union vote bank pan india it's not like bank union ke liye anna tum sangharsh karo hum tumhare sath hai kind of a sentiment i'm just looking at it from a psychological aspect but my question to you is not at a psychological aspect so harsh i'll start with you what do you think would be the impact of disinvestment on our economy if and when we actually manage it so uh, by disinvestment here obviously we are now basically talking about privatization 
because if this investment government stake goes from 75% to 51% for example if it's still government owned um so it's not just about monetizing government assets and by the way that's a big part of this budget of existing infrastructure assets being monetized through tot invests uh, even in the railway budget actually for dfcs as piyush goel later added on um but you know so it's not just about raising revenue that's one aspect of it it is about saying raising productivity of that corporation because the management is now in private hands and therefore the argument goes in general not always there are also private sector scams etc that the incentives are more aligned and there is a clear focus on creating shareholder value you know while keeping in mind the broader stakeholders but right now they say in the in the case of psus for example i don't know what the sbi ceo salary is but it's probably uh, 1/10th or less than that of an hdfc bank ceo um you know even though it has more assets and it's it's a bigger bank in most ways except in market cap um uh, so so clearly there are issues of uh, compensation risk taking um maybe even the loans you give get scrutinized differently because you're a government owned bank versus a private sector bank and so on and so forth and similarly beyond banks for public sector corporations so it's basically about increasing efficiency and the point is a broader signaling value also so for example just by saying this along with sbi's own results sbi's stock has increased by around 50% uh, in the last one week the last 3 4 days so what happens is when you say that we are going to actually privatize two public sector banks the values the market values of all public sector banks increase and then basically even if you just disinvest and not privatize the other banks for the time being you raise that much more revenue so it's a signaling mechanism as well and finally you know for the in terms of the uh the number of staff per account or per rupee handled or number of branches you'd have to look into the details you basically have in in the case of public sector banks you have more people than required in some cases now it's very true that public sector bank union said well during demonetization we had to work very hard we had to work overtime we had to work over weekends etc and you know all those complaints were there uh but basically uh you know what happens is young and dynamic performers don't get promoted as easily in 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 a public sector setup in any bureaucratic setup as they do in a private sector setup so you you basically good performers leave and people who want that job security for life remain it's a self selecting mechanism um this is not to say that there is not scope for some public sector banks in some very niche areas you know we should not un- so for example you know isro is not a public sector enterprise as such but isro obviously you need something you need there are deep research areas where you where you want people to just work and without having to think of the livelihood um they know that their job is guaranteed so this is not to say that there is not some benefit of that kind of approach but we have clearly gone too far into that and even even the chinese who are now kind of reasserting the communist chinese party's control over private enterprises you know jack ma being the most famous example of late in the late 90s they had massively uh you know under, uh, downsized many of their soes what we call psus they call soes state owned enterprises Uh, so it's it's very necessary for capital to be reallocated towards more dynamic places so like bpcl is about to be privatized lic what you mentioned the ipo is about to happen gic one private insurance one public sector insurance company is also about to be privatized so lic won't be privatized lic will be listed uh, gic most probably will be privatized two public sector banks will be privatized in the railways for example um, they may not privatize but the railways they'll they'll incorp they'll convert it into a corporation many large parts of it and that may lead to some as- some parts of it being listed later on so you you know many 
many uh, for example something like vsnl was part of the kind of telecom ministry 20 25 years ago first you kind of corporatize it then you list it then you privatize it so so there is there are steps across all the the entire food chain and the government has made a very bold claim and you're right about the psychological aspect of it there will be some protests uh, but i think that will be handled that is to be expected ashish so one more question i have i just thought of it what do you make of uh, the bad bank situation so finally the government has said that they are going to go forward and they are actually going to uh, go ahead and formulate a asset uh, reconstruction company so how much of a positive development is this because uh, i've been listening about you know we've been hearing talks of this whole thing that we'll set up a bad bank and stuff like that how much of uh, i mean I, i did not even listen to any expert covering this don't you think this is a significant thing that the government has actually finally put the money where their mouth is and has said no 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 we're going to go ahead and we're actually now going to do it so two parts kushal here um, see the arc first of all i mean it's a, still a arc mechanism it's not like a bank bank in the in the in, in the sense that it was being talked about earlier nonetheless uh, the see look at the sbi results yesterday right like the the asset quality commentary from sbi was phenomenal i mean as harsh said the stock has gone up about 60% in some 6 days or something like that right so uh, the uh, the 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 fact is that asset quality is actually improving now uh how many banks would do you would you would need arc right now i'm not very sure like if it uh, depends on what the, what the po- actually the post covid nps we will still need to kind of observe for the next two three quarters especially about small companies uh, msmes may face some stress etc i think the general perception has been that or the general agreement has been that while the top 60 70% of the corporations have done very well the bottom 20 30% have faced the brunt of it in, in terms of the pandemic uh, impact so how much do 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 the day default and because of that what is the default of individuals towards personal loans and some of the other uh, you know the the individual uh, the the credit which is uh, offered by the banks that remains to be seen nonetheless those volumes will be still lower than let's say the corporate ones now uh, th- since the economy is improving there may not be much to offload to the arc or uh, certainly there will be less to offload to the arc let's say to what would have been the case 2 years ago so that that brings a que- brings into question the timing of the arc itself the uh, second point here is that what are the, what is the design of this arc is is government going to participate in it will it leave will it or or will it put some equity and say that okay i'll i'll put 10000 crores and then let let an i for other kind of you know uh, uh, entities put in their capital and then basically they manage the assets i think some of that needs to be seen uh, announcement is fine uh, i think it's obviously there's no harm in it in the sense that there's another vehicle to kind of clean up the balance sheets but i think the real impact will be known once we know the design of it which hasn't yet been made public hopefully in the next few weeks so harsh what do you make of it uh, about the whole uh, asset reconstruction uh, aspect the whole arc amc game the bad bank to bad debt first of all the context is obviously ibc has been suspended right for pandemic uh, so the so the whole idea of the see there have been a bunch of short term pain long term gain reforms for the last 6 7 years and of course the mother of all short term pain long term gains is the pandemic itself um i've spoken separately about how i think you know once the tragedy is over in many structural ways the pandemic actually helped india india is the biggest beneficiary of that uh so the idea in the government so far while there was a lot of internal debate as far as i know the idea was a bad bank is a good idea short term but may have a moral hazard 
going forward so the government was not necessarily open to the idea till pre pandemic uh, or it, or if it was open to it it never quite happened uh but again just like everything else and now that we are throwing everything at manufacturing as i mentioned in terms of tariffs subsidies and currency in terms of infrastructure in terms of all the equity vehicles the debt financing vehicles the banks in which reits same way for the financial markets we are basically saying you know while ibc comes back after the pandemic let's also do a bad bank let's again overlapping let's also do a dfi you know let's also get our bonds listed on global indices let's also do retail direct as ashish mentioned for government sovereign bonds something i mentioned in an article in mint a few months ago you know so so the idea is let's make financial intermediation as smooth as possible as soon as possible because there is one of the kind of the overhangs on indian growth for the last few years which happens because you know if you have a 8 9 year up cycle and 8 9 year down cycle in the towards the end of the down cycle you have npas we had a lot of npas in 2002 3 the kind of bottomed out now 2001 2002 the bottomed out and then we had an up move it kind of coincides with the weak dollar cycle and again we are basically seeing the start of a weak dollar cycle in march april 2020 kind of it kind of has flattened out in the last few weeks but i think that cycle continues so so it it basically again shows uh, at a larger level the government is saying uh, as ashish mentioned we'll we'll give a few 10000 crore rupees and let's see it is we have to wait to see how it is operationalized uh but i but i think it's a signal that we will do whatever it takes i think that's the big message from the arc yeah so so just just for the record i think the government has made a proposal of an additional 11000 kilometers in highways and metros uh in 21 cities uh, 27 cities across india and uh, yeah uh, i mean before people say yeah i'm very much aware of four pole bound states have gotten like tamil nadu kerala west bengal and assam have gotten some extra i mean it's it's as if i you know the, the i was reading an article they're like oh pole bound states are getting extras like ha bhai to political party itna to karegi एज इफ इट्स आउटसाइड इंडिया हम लोग जाके पाकिस्तान की हाईवे बना रहे हैं इंडिया की हाईवे बना रहे हैं आशीष आई वॉन्टेड टू कम टू यू ऑन दिस दैट आई हर्ड फ्रॉम माई फ्रेंड्स इन दी आई टी सेक्टर दे वर नॉट रियली हैप्पी बिकॉज दे से दे डि नॉट गेट एनी शॉप फॉर द आई टी इंडस्ट्री इन दिस बजट तो क्या उनका गम सही है क्या उनका दुख सही है I don't know who these people are who want government to intervene in IT industry. The IT industry has grown precisely because government did not understand what it did. And by the time government caught up with the idea of what was happening, it was too big to be tinkered with, right? So I think uh, you should tell your friends that uh, if they did not hear the word IT industry in the budget, it is actually the best thing to happen. Good. Now let's get into the one thing where every see at the end of the day, most of the people who listen to this podcast are your average middle class Indians. Jinka ek dukhda already. I'm in live chat. I've read it. हमारे लिए तो कुछ नहीं किया. So Ashish, so just again, just to inform everyone at the micro level, there was no change in the personal tax rate slab or break. The only thing I know is that now they have gotten a parity between the Unitlink insurance plan, ULIP, and mutual funds. So that that is a good thing that they've done. But uh, uh, is there any justification? Uh, does the middle class have a right to complain, Ashish? See again, I said this on the Bharatwata podcast also on the evening of first. That I don't know who these people are who in this year wanted tax breaks, right? I think the whole chat, a whole whole discussion was about which new tax is going to be imposed. will it be called covid cess will we get a 
extra wealth tax or will there be an uh, increase in ltc gsc you know uh, short term capital gains etc so i think expecting like 9.5% fiscal deficit ke upar if you were expecting a tax a direct tax cut wo to nahi hona tha i mean like 67% of the government revenue is essentially is, is just tax right so usme gst aaya nahi aapne 3 mahine 4 mahine ko gst bana nahi so uh, how could direct tax be cut this year now having said that uh, what i don't never understand is that why don't middle class whoever the you know quote unquote middle class salaried class why are they not looking at the sensex right i mean if if you're probably not going to get benefits from the tax uh, i hope your investments have gone up and one reason they have gone up is precisely because the government did not tinker with i mean the the fiscal situation was managed in a way that the market was enthused about the the future right so uh, i think the commentary i think people need to move away from a very simplistic commentary on that a tax cut nahi hua see budget is a much bigger thing okay tax cut nahi hua but abhi aaj rbi ne bond market khola hai udhar paise dalo wo to guaranteed money hai sovereign india sovereign money will be used for good purposes right for for government borrowing and investing in infrastructure social good bhi ho jayega usme you can i mean the sensex itself has gone up so if you were i mean i'm i'm i think some people will be invested in the markets right or i hope they are and i mean some of them are or most of them are so they they should be happy that okay there's another revenue where there's a compensation being made uh, there there was also some criticism around the uh, okay so first of all uh, the the ulip and the mutual fund again is a good thing because ulips have been missold in india for donkey's number of years we know that right uh, selling ulip as a tax save i mean so the way the ulips are sold is that aapka life insurance the baad aati nahi hai uske andar people talk about how i i will invest in this fund that fund and at the end of it at the maturity of the policy you will get tax free money right so usman the word insurance is not even uttered when ulips are sold i'm sure all of us have gone through that process so abhi finally ulips can be sold as a insurance uh, uh, instrument and not like a mutual fund right so in that parity yes of course uh, this will be a stock versus so thing right so the the previous policies don't get impacted but the whatever is sold as of some date will will get impacted so they don't don't buy ulips i mean it's not like the past thing is getting impacted the only negative impact came from the pf uh, thing right where they said that the employee contributions which are more than 2.5 lakhs uh, in pf will be taxed uh, at the marginal rate of the of that uh, uh, of that individual now uh, fair enough i mean it's a negative thing no doubt about it people will be paying more tax but again let's look at it in a slightly more detailed way uh, let's say you are investing 10 lakh in pf now the the, the limit to in, invest in pf the, the vpf the voluntary pf is about 88% of your basic right so if you are investing 7 and 1/2 lakhs uh, in your uh, in in pf extra which means that first of all you are saving 7 and 1/2 lakhs right so if if someone's uh, salary say 50 lakhs and you are i mean if someone is saying saving 20 lakhs uh, sorry 10 lakhs which is 20% which i think is a very good savings rate right in, in today's environment saving 20% of your gross salary is a pretty high number now of that 10 lakhs you are putting 7 and 1/2 lakhs extra in, in in pf right but but to but to actually put 7 and 1/2 lakhs you first need to be making 50 lakhs to to start off now at that salary level why are you not inve- not exploring other avenues of investment that is that then remains a question but theek hai chalo theek hai whatever whatever with the reason 7.5 lakh ka aapne investment kiya hai us pe tax banega i mean sorry us pe interest banega 8.5% ke hisab se let's say 70000 rupees that the the tax uh, and if your marginal rate is 30% you are paying 20000 rupees more i mean i i really don't think that barring a few very clever individuals who have apparently got hundreds of crores in the pf as one of the press release said today but but you know leave aside those 100 200 very clever people in in the country and they i think that's there always are those people right so you can't do much about it but really speaking uh, how many 
people are going to get impacted by more than say 5 10 20000 rupees there's an impact but i, I my my sense is that 20 25000 is pretty much the cap upper cap so you need to replace that income elsewhere when markets are growing the other revenues coming up so you can always replace that so it is fine to criticize you if you feel uh, pinched with the with the decision fair enough you criticize but i think you should also put a price on your own criticism i mean is 25 is 20000 rupees worth like 100 tweets or 50 facebook posts uh, you know that's that trade off you need to make uh, with respect to your own uh, situation so uh, basically ashish is telling you sigrihana se seekho 18 crore mein tweet karti hai tumko sharam nahi aati so harsh what what do you make of it uh, the the slabs remaining the same see um, i think first of all there is something to be said about taxes not being tinkered in general you know i mean not every budget is bolte na haath mein khujli ho rahi hai kuch karna hai like it is it's okay if budget if direct taxes are not changed for two or three budgets it's not a big deal it's a good thing i mean I, we we can have some predictability going forward uh i think the finance minister had once said that the june 2019 taxes will be reversed by 2022 i think she had once mentioned uh but of course as ashish rightly mentioned to kind of expect that to happen right after a pandemic would be extremely foolish so given that i think the budget budget as and and i must mention that you know whether it was kind of planted by the party or the government but the expectations were very nicely set because everybody was like tax bharne wala tax bharne wala bharne wala and then of course you know tax not being increased everybody got very happy so i really want to meet those people who actually as ashish saying who was expecting a tax cut but like you know that is a guy who's even more optimistic than me about life so i really want to meet that person so so i think i think on the whole in this year the fact that the government bit the bullet uh, had a high fiscal deficit did not increase direct taxes did not increase the corporation tax did not increase the capital gains long term short term of course gst anyways they can't do it in the budget they have to do it through the council i think that's a very strong signal that says that you know we are as we said it's not an accountant mindset you go for growth there is some predictability of course as far as i know the direct uh, tax uh, reforms committee report was not never made public as far as i know uh, so you know and and my guess is because the suggestions were perhaps too radical uh, probably close to low taxes for the rich and flat tax and therefore the government knew it would probably never do it um, so that being that i think uh, given realistic expectations Uh, after the, what happened last year uh, it's a it's a great positive that they did not tinker with it i hope they tinker very little going forward as well mm-hmm. you know sometimes even bad taxes are okay if you know predictability you know at least you know fine you don't have to look forward to these things being changed every 12 months got it well all i'll say on this is uh, if the government wants to really be be as hindu as possible bhai ek kaam karo ramayan ke tax rate kar lo main to bada khush ho jaunga valmiki <laughs> ramayan mein jo tax rate recommend kiye hai wo sabse acche tax rates okay now let's start taking uh, some uh, live viewers questions so okay i actually love this question so gargi has asked is there any merit in moving away from gdp as a measure of economic issues covid and climate change are changing uh, you know, civilizations radically i think canada has already started having a discussion so i want both your views ashish you can go first and harsh even i want to know your views on this so should gdp be now used as a measure considering the kind of world we are getting into see i always believe that the perfect should not be an enemy of good right so there's something working here around the world let's keep it because if you if you open the field god knows what will come into play right like how 
how gross wokeness index gross uh, equality index you know all those kind of things are going to see the, the thing is that people confuse that there are there are out, there, there is policy and there's outcomes of policy right you should i mean there are inputs there's policy and there's outcomes the certain things should always be outcome of policy they should not be input to the policy per se right like in fact like deficit itself in my view should be outcome of policy why, why, why do we have to pick the deficit at 3% pehle se tum tum kaam karo na pure saal phir dekho kitna deficit aata hai right so but i mean if you, if you leave open field then that is what you're going to get from the current crop of social scientists so i would say even if you don't like gdp live with it because uh, the alternative will be far far worse so so i so i think there are two broad answers there are two answers here one is a more macro answer one is a more technical answer i think the larger answer is exactly what ashish mentioned right because it's like saying well if you want to compare compare sachin and rahul dravid do you compare run rates do you say how many of those centuries were scored outside india within india who was an opener who came down the order how do we adjust for that how do we say one 153 average is not as good as the other 57 I mean, you know, of course, there are adjustments we understand, but the question is, what kind of quantitative value you put at the, on those adjustments? So, as as Ashish rightly mentioned, you can't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Having said that, on the margin, a lot of these numbers can improve. Uh, in India, real GDP growth obviously is nominal GDP, then you know, uh, adjusted by the deflator. How do you calculate the deflator? Is basically a calculation of inflation. How do you calculate that? You know, is it chain indexed? is it does it have hedonic adjustments in the sense that you know like in in many people again more technical people would say india inflation probably overcounts it our uh, the, the cpi basket which is not the deflator per se but a deflator is roughly cpi and wpi average the cpi basket is a bit too out of date has too much food weightage uh, in general there is no chain linking therefore if there is a substitution effect in especially in a year like a pandemic it doesn't show up so there are all kinds of things how do you improve the gdp number in the gdp number itself you can say whether you add imputed rent or not and how you come from this number or that number gni so those things can always improve the marginal fundamentally gdp per capita adjusted for cost of living which is ppp or purchasing power parity is broadly speaking a good number now of course you know uh, if if the chinese grew for long without having environmental protections you know there is a quality of cost of there's a quality of life kind of deficit because of that the bhutan has something called a gross national happiness index you know? but how the issues how do you compare and quantify them across times so if you take an environmental economics course they'll tell you this is the value of all the forests and resources and because you burn so many forests you have to actually have an environmentally adjusted gdp uh, which will you know kind of minus for deforestation and do plus for afforestation but the problem is is that you know a lot of these rigorous studies very quickly become a breeding grounds for activists and they therefore to kind of uh, understandably get attention towards the subject massively amplify the numbers or use wrong discount rates etc etc so so there are there are you know it is okay broadly speaking and gdp per capita ppp mein we are not doing well we are 7000 dollars per capita and we are doing very well compared to our history but we are still 7 8 times behind the united states it is what it is and we have to kind of do well on that metric in the coming decade now uh, harsh a follow up question to you now uh, this is actually something that even has been bugging me in in during the covid time matlab sari duniya ki baj gayi thi magar china seems to be going in a different trajectory altogether so uh, can we trust economic data from china i mean uh, 
China now being such a major player in the world economy uh, and you have no transparency in their accounts. But how the hell can, I mean, I find it very hard to digest that the whole world has gone basically to the shitter and China says, Hum to grow kar rahe. how can they grow in such a scenario? So how much do we trust anything that comes out of China? And then how does the world hedge its bets based on that figure? So, I mean, you know, Chinese economic data being trustworthy or not has been a perennial debate for the last 20, 30 years. You know, even one of the premiers, I think Li Keqiang had something called the Li Keqiang Index. Uh, where he would kind of say monitor power, electricity, uh, containment, shipments, whatever, five, six real indicators. He had some kind of way to weight them and say, you know, I actually look at that number myself more. Uh, I think the implicit point was uh, the way the Chinese federal system works is the governors of various provinces actually get promoted partially based on their province's GDP growth. And they have a lot of, therefore, um, misaligned incentives to actually overstate that. And therefore, the sum of the parts is not always adding up to the entire country. Um, having said that, you know, China is increasingly a service economy. You can't actually rely on such very kind of crude indices. Um, the numbers may be inflated, but it's very, I would still say they're not too difficult to, uh, they're not too fraudulent. And the reason I'll say, is, for example, this year, uh, by this year, I mean 2020, uh, was actually when the Chinese started opening up their capital account slowly and they've been allowing financial liberalization in, in 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 slow measures and a lot of money has come into the bond indices they've actually entered all the three major global bond indices 100 plus billion dollars have come in just like india actually lost bond flows last year even though we got equity flows so you know those numbers are fundamentally whether china is a 14 or 15 trillion dollar economy maybe it's 13 then you know there is not there is no castle in the air the, the, the manufacturing there is real, the infrastructure there is real, uh, one can always quibble. Uh, and as far as the particular year was, how did they recover relatively fast compared to the rest of the world? Oh, there is no doubt that their COVID numbers were definitely suppressed. I mean, if you go to any website which compares across countries, China has, has zero for the last eight, nine months. So they basically stopped reporting, right? Uh, but uh, they were also the ones who had it first. So just like India recovered by October, maybe they started recovering by June. Um, you know, and maybe in some provinces they allowed the, you know some people to die, but they did not lock down. It's very difficult to say. There's not enough transparency. Um, I must say the Chinese this year, this year, unlike 2009-10, did not open all the fiscal taps. Uh, partially because they're already their their cumulative debt to GDP is already quite high. They you know, their inf their ad incremental infrastructure does not have that benefit marginal uh, benefit for them as it would be in the case of India, especially in our Gangetic Plains. So for, so they've not reacted that aggressively fiscally, uh, but maybe they were just first in first out and therefore we are seeing better growth numbers, but it's a good question. I don't have the answer to that 2020 number, but in general, I don't think the numbers are that fraudulent as I would wanted them to be, but I think the reality is not that fraudulent. All right. So Ashish, the next question is for you. Uh, so someone has asked, would making PF contribution optional make the make increase the investment as it is told by some or wouldn't it increase the in inflation as well? What are your views on the same? I mean, I'm not sure if the PF contribution becoming voluntary will become uh, will, will be inflationary as such. But I think there's a balance between having a retirement. See, India doesn't have a pension, a government pension, national pension system per se, right? In the sense, the government doesn't pay you pension. You have to kind of uh, work 
even if it's the government system and the pf say you you still have to contribute yourself right so i think the government cannot have uh, infinite social security if people don't plan for it themselves right so you can't i mean i don't think it will be a good idea to make it voluntary there there are hundred different improvements which are possible in the design of epf and more broadly the sx system which is the which is for uh, work people who don't earn as much uh, per month um, but i think uh, it should not be made voluntary there should be some some uh, kind of incentive slash stick for people to save for for later otherwise it will put humongous burden on state resources as a, as a society ages in 2030 years time i think we have a good run till about 2040 but if we don't uh, clean up some of these things now in the next couple of decades uh, we will the governments will come under pressure later on so it shouldn't be voluntary all right so these two questions are more like uh, i think on economic uh, uh, economic policies at a large macro level so the first one is more for, so harsh i will go to you for this one so with biden in and you know you know chamerica back in uh, so obviously uh, how much of an effect it is going to have happen on the deep you know the whole decoupling thing and should we also go in uh, with full force with what china did when they kept on you know doing these major infrastructure pushes till the extent of developing ghost towns okay so on the first question i think <clears throat> it's an excellent question i don't think economic decoupling per se is going to happen um i think the the biden administration will be better at forming alliances to take on china but it seems like a full fledged trade war is out of the question for the moment uh in any case uh, china basically signed the rcep agreement last year um i think india did the right thing by not joining ashish also thinks so uh, but nonetheless australia and new zealand and japan are there you know who are us treaty allies and just before biden kind of um, was inaugurated as president uh, china and the european union had a bilateral investment treaty signed so the, the chinese basically said you know okay we'll get all your indo pacific and european allies and we'll get some kind of trade or investment treaties with them so because we know that you don't want to have a direct trade war with us like trump did you want to actually do it with your allies but you know guess what we we reached to them before so i think decoupling entirely is different um is difficult and as i was mentioning actually that's all that what i mentioned so far is on trade financial decoupling is actually even more out of the picture because actually the chinese have opened up their financial markets and and the and, and wall street is very happy to go and serve chinese financial needs and go and get intertwined uh so it seems that decoupling for the moment is out unless there is it will be on the margins over the next 3 4 years with australia indo pacific india europe uk us canada all of them coming together with japan and south korea and for the moment that seems very difficult to pull off because of various internal contradictions so so whatever containment containment strategy of china you know like following up on george kinan and soviet union there was a recent uh, document that was just released 2 3 days ago called the longer telegram by atlantic, atlantic council um again anonymous like the original long telegram how do you contain china and and it, it's 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 very nuanced and realistic in martin wolf had an article in financial times just today or yesterday saying you cannot contain china now i would not be that pessimistic but in terms of economic decoupling it's difficult now on the second question in terms of infrastructure and ghost towns i wish whoever this person is asking i wish we were in that situation <laughs> well you know from delhi to calcutta we have i don't know half a billion people and uh, there is enough scope to put infrastructure there for the next 20 years and never ever reach anything remotely like ghost town 
so so our our marginal returns are so high that we are no longer to even contemplate that situation right now would be silly but but yes if we if we transition to the mindset of building before they come as opposed to building after the need is there and places like bombay and pune are clearly struggling because of that bombay in terms of the link road and the trans harbor road and pune in terms of the airport it would be nice for a change to actually build proactively which i think this government is doing given all the land and environmental constraints and this garage shed which suddenly shifts in our chief minister's son really finds very attractive to preserve and so on and so forth so usko chhodke i think yes we need a bit change of mindset but we are nowhere close to ghost town kind of super infrastructure investments all right so one question was asked to me so i'll just answer it so bharat had asked uh, kushal bhai what is the tax rate in the valmiki ramayana bharat if i remember correctly it is a flat tax rate of either 16% or 17% if my memory serves me correctly and i think it was either in the balakandam or the ayodhya kandam i don't remember which which exactly uh, which which exact sarga i don't remember so pardon me about that but i can check it up and i'll maybe leave a comment uh, in the podcast itself so that you guys can go and check it out don't trust me so coming to you ashish is median income a better measure than per capita income in a country like india where there is so much inequality bol bol yaar ye sab mat change karo i think jo chal raha hai na we need to improve the quality of what <laughs> we are doing tujhe ye question pucha let us not change the measures right i mean see again there is a lot to be done like our for example should we use core inflation or inflation i think that cpi i think it's a very i mean i would say that is a very relevant debate Uh, should we use a 2011 metric, uh, 2011 series for inflation, or uh, change it to 2014-15? That is a very relevant debate. But to say that let us not use that measure itself. See the the measures. I think I mean okay, not to be frivolous here, but see any economic measure is built over data collected over decades, right? You need to not only have the past data to state a series or to create a benchmark. You also need to devise measures to collect the data for future going forward, right? and data collection is not very easy like some of these things that we talk about today uh, whether it is cpi or wpi or uh, you know the i mean the gdp itself these measures have been fine tuned over several years and we still find uh, you know issues with with some of them like for example 4 5 years ago uh, because nokia's factory was shut in chennai and because nestle was not making maggi because of some issues with the up government and because there was some increase in uh, some some pr- production of acidity tablets are one of the manufacturers i forget which one uh, rcpi was completely out of the whack because they were the factories which were the part of the sample set now these were not updated because yaar ab maggi nahi kha rahe hain log to theek hai nahi kha rahe hain baaki kuch aur to kha rahe honge na that doesn't mean ki why should that reduce inflation or increase inflation or if mobile phones are if nokia is not making india was still buying mobiles i mean when this happened india was still the second fastest growing market in the mobile phones but so some of these measures are ridiculous i mean if you really go into the details of what sample is being collected and we still continue to collect them i mean i'm sure there's there's a, uh, someone need to write about this but i think typically the mint guys do a good job of it pramit basu keeps doing this uh, kind of analysis a lot in terms of what the components of uh, uh, of different indices are i think i think we should there's a lot of room to improve that to basically make it more contemporary to look at impact of stuff like uh, e-commerce um to to look at uh, to to basically have services uh, uh, better represented to not stress too much around the cost of say fuel and uh, food uh, especially vegetables because that's seasonal in india uh, i think some of these questions are to me are much broader question than the saying that ki chalo measure it change kar do because something doesn't sound right okay harsh uh, do you think this budget will actually help india's position in the global supply value chain 
in terms of the infrastructure and manufacturing context where do you think it's going to happen so uh, definitely in terms of infrastructure logistics manufacturing for domestic use and consumption and therefore the spillovers for exports but i don't think i think the government is realistic enough to not believe that we can replicate manufacturing exports the way china did from say 2000 to 2015 or 1995 to 2015 uh so i'm so, so whenever you hear the word global value chain you have to be careful about what exactly do we mean do we mean about um you know being a core part of in like a transshipment for uh, you know buying some raw materials from parts of asia and then transshipping it to doing some value add transshipping it to europe and north america yes that might happen but a lot of it might actually just sink into domestic consumption uh but what happens is when you're large enough for example you know this is an example i always give in terms of electronic equipment versus auto components so we had relatively a more protectionist more thoughtful trade industrial policy for automobiles in india and we kind of then therefore we had a very strong auto auto ancillary industry around a maruti factory in manisar or some other factory in in gujarat sanand and then those players became larger and larger and some of them are now very prominent global exporters of very niche auto components so the point is if you have to first get scale in your domestic market uh, the era of replicating what south korea did and by exporting directly to the american market may or may not happen but it is difficult to bet on it right now given so much trade skepticism globally so so exports could be a useful byproduct of manufacturing domestic products but that is not the aim so to that extent not value chain but definitely on the infrastructure and logistics side all right ashish i'll make one observation here kushal uh, just one observation at this point uh, see india i think on the brighter side uh, and again this is very few months of data but we seem to be hitting the 27 billion mark on exports every month more regularly i mean more months we are doing 27 than we are not uh, i think if our exports can even grow i mean so we are essentially sub 400 basically on a yearly run rate basis even if we can add 100 200 billion from here on that itself could be a humongous success in the in the short run right and i think the fact that india should have a trillion dollar of exports has been talked about as a poli- as a political ambition multiple times different governments have said it this government said it the previous government also said it the fact is we have never got close i mean we we have just kind of gone beyond 350 in the last couple of years uh, i think even if you increase the export by by let's say 20 30% from here on that itself can be a huge uh, leg up so i think yes i mean i think the broadly point of what harsh said is correct but i also feel that there's a lot of headroom here in terms of uh, improvements and and doing specific measures and and dr panagari always makes that point beautifully what uh, what ashish mentioned that you know in terms of global merchandise exports we are a very small fish so ashish is absolutely right in terms of the headroom there and of course overall exports are not just manufacturing exports they are manufacturing plus services and services have a much more kind of healthy tailwind so all right so ashish a question for you was what are your thoughts on esg investing in the context of india and our story and trajectory especially given our parallel protest economy <laughs> affecting everything see um, the sustainability in india actually for this government is not a political slogan the prime minister actually believes in some of that right in terms of let's say uh, when the when the government came in they started talking about um, the, the solar solar and the wind part uh, change i mean not decommissioning the old coal power plants not ex- not expanding coal with old technologies and all of that right so uh, even that cop 21 summit 
lot of foreign governments actually accused india of manipulating the media and creating nice headlines by actually talking about big things uh, india took the lead on international solar alliance which uh, hopefully over time can become the opec of the of the of the renewables uh, renewable power right so uh, i think all in all the whole area of sustainability unlike in the west where a lot of it is just virtue signaling uh, by you know a lot of companies just doing some parts of i mean they may not be necessarily be transforming their business the fact is that like like in many other things india is going to adopt some of the, these things faster than what the west has done so we may actually do more in fact the last years one of the reports said that india was the only country which was on target to meet its uh, uh, goals or what assigned goals from the from the previous climate summit by 2030 right so uh, in that sense i i don't think we should ap- approach it as a esg specific thing we should just weave this as part of the normal economy this should become part of our business as usual rather than something exotic that the west tries i mean i actually don't like the term esg esg should be normal life i mean you know why are we talking about it separately it it's something which we we need to do much more we need to be sustainable we need to save the planet all of this is obvious stuff right i mean there's no point in trying to also the fact is that india as a polluter or as a let's say how much blame can you put on india on a per capita basis our emissions are way lower than a uh, lot of lot of other countries right so i think by by trapping us in this verbiage you also then start looking at us i mean we should not approach it from a guilt feeling perspective right we should approach it because that is exactly how the business is going to be run say 20 30 years from from now on so so we have the advantage here like we had on techno- on consumer technologies and banking technologies or mobile and all of that we should make full use of that all right so just one last question before that i'll make a comment made by a live viewer who has said that the government should focus more on regulating the economy and get out of uh, hotels and sundry businesses i think that's what the budget uh, indicates yeah mandar maybe it does now this one question actually balaji has written a beautiful long form article i think even i have shared it ashish has shared it and even harsh has shared it so what do you think is the future of crypto in india now obviously i'm going to be doing a detailed podcast on uh, uh, crypto in the future but ashish uh, uh, harsh i'll go with you first uh, starting with you uh, thoughts on crypto as of now because i i could not gather where you stand on crypto because you shared uh, balaji's uh, thread and then you were also not sure about crypto so where do you stand as of now harsh should i go first yeah yeah okay so uh, so my view is uh, you know i feel that the underlying technology blockchain is potentially very useful all kinds of spin offs can happen uh, domestically internationally but a private cryptocurrency um, versus something like a digital inr digital rupee uh, is something where very different because the latter the digital inr which is basically like you have rupees with the rbi itself like the, you don't need a bank account or a dmat intermediary or some kind of depository you don't need a paytm account you basically download an rbi app at some point um so i think and, and in a way what rbi did with retail direct today of course assuming what ashish mentioned they operationalized it well is in the is in that direction i think that is very interesting in terms of reducing frictions at least within india crypto has a lot of potential to reduce friction for say remittances and all that but the problem is the sovereign of the sovereign will never let go the power of fiat currency and and crypto for example bitcoin is is based on milton friedman's k% rule 
or where k can be zero the idea is you cannot create more bitcoin or any any currency you take it is limited by the by the algorithm that is that is put out in the beginning and therefore you cannot put and put debase or inflate the currency and that is what a lot of people say oh my god look at the age of quantitative easing and i think balaji also calls it digital gold uh, but i am still making up my mind on it you know in my earlier libertarian days i was more in favor of it right now i am in a more statist phase i personally think it's a problematic one for a large country like india but i'm i'm open minded about it and i i i think what the government has done right now in terms of saying well uh, we don't want private cryptocurrencies in india for now let's first do a digital inr through rbi i think that's the right step uh but just if i am discussing it with balaji and other people so so let's see uh, i as of now i think the sovereign cannot let go of a monopoly on currency so that's my that's my 101 take on it all right ashish what's your take actually i don't have a take kushal this is one area where i'm still studying i don't consider myself uh, knowledgeable enough to comment on it वाह वाह क्योंकि पहली बार हुआ है हमारी पॉडकास्ट पे और भारत के इतिहास में किसी ने बोला है मला मायतिन है <laughs> ये बहुत बड़ी बात है क्योंकि कोई बोलता नहीं है सो आशीष बट सी सो यू हैव अ डेडिकेटेड व्यूअर राइट नाउ हु इज आस्ट यू अ फॉलो अप क्वेश्चन ऑन योर कमेंट ऑन रिन्यूएबल्स बट आई बिफोर आई विल आई आस्क अ क्वेश्चन बिकॉज दिस इज द लास्ट वन so uh, so gargi has said ashish india is not going to meet its solar target solar is too inefficient shouldn't budget focus in uh, investment be in other renewable energy markets so gargi first of all solar is uh, in my view and if you remember i don't know if uh, you've seen a discussion uh, ashish and i have had i think ashish and i had uh, talked about solar and inefficiency i think in our 2020 wrap up discussion where i had mentioned nuclear being a far better option so before before i you know give it to ashish ashish uh, i think uh, the, is has the time come that uh, india should have that final nuclear push yes i mean there's no doubt about it i think nuclear energy is the most efficient form of renewable so that should be pushed i have no nothing against that on solar i'm again like ash harsh said we should not be too worried about the data here and there right like uh, harsh said it in the context of the chinese economy Uh, even if we don't do 175 gigawatt i mean 100 gigawatts of solar theek hai we will have we would have reached let's say 70 80 by uh, you know in the next couple of years so it's that's, that's fine i think directionally we are improving my comment was not on the uh, on the target for solar my comment was on the emissions target by 2030 which we signed up for in the previous climate summit that in india is the only country which is currently on target to meet that number so as such we are already doing good my my larger point is that we should not think of sustainability as a guilt tripped country we are a young country we have a lot of growth as, uh, ahead of us we should do what is right for us and we should build sustainability in day to day life which by the way is an indian ethos any which way the west did not preach upon preach us on on some of that right in terms of not not uh, spending more than our i mean more than our means or uh, taking care of things around us or living beings around us all of that is just natural to us so we don't need any lectures there in, in terms of how esg is modeled in the western world that was my broader point and just very quickly solar plus wind plus storage whether the storage is battery or it's kind of hydro slash gravity is actually reaching uh, break even levels without any subsidies to uh, if it has already reached actually to thermal power for example so so i'm not sure it is correct to say that solar power is not efficient uh, so nuclear has great attractions i fully support it solar can be more of a distributed model right i mean for example if you have a village or you have a large house you can you can be off grid you can actually sell to the grid 
uh, you can actually connect it to your uh, your your e vehicles to likely to come you can reduce all these imports and i, I think so there are i think the government is doing a lot of good stuff on that so uh, i'm not sure i, I agree uh, agree feeders uh, i i would i would encourage listeners to look at the kusum program uh, if you have uh, looked at the stock prices which are into water pumps etc they have, they have shot up because of the kusum kusum program uh, in fact bloomberg nef new energy F foundation i think it's called they they did a good uh, article on it i think just last week on how this program is driving the solarization of the agriculture economy so some good interesting stuff happening there look solar can only work uh, if you don't have to store it and it is in a net meterage yeah. format other than that uh, i can tell you solar is not going to work yeah maybe in rural areas it's going to work but the, then in the larger macro picture how much of consumption that is uh, so when we are looking at a macro picture we'll have to consider how much power is going to be consumed in those areas in rural feeders so we, we have to balance it out because if you're talking about carbon offsetting then well, what are we going to do with the batteries the, the batteries also come into the picture and the batteries also call cause a lot of uh, problems with the mining and uh, so it's it's a mess and ashish hamesha yaad rakhna jab hum ye cheezon ki baat karte hain to hum brahminical fascism laate hain wo log baat karte hain to wo log classy veganism laate hain so never forget that so i guess we have, you know we, we've covered all the questions so guys it's time to wrap up the discussion so before we wrap things today i once again want to thank harsh and ashish uh, for coming on the podcast and you know answering not only my questions but uh, each and every live viewers question uh, so guys as always it's a pleasure to talk to you thank you thanks kushal Okay guys time to wrap things up if you like the podcast please subscribe to the channel share the video like the video leave a comment in the video also agar aap mujhe twitter se jante ho koi bharosa nahi twitter band ho jaye india mein so please go and follow me on facebook and instagram and on youtube uh, i'm very serious kuch pata nahi aajkal kya ho raha hai twitter apne mood mein hai government apne mood mein hai to shayad government twitter ko band kar de to please jaake uh, dusri jagah pe Uh, follow the podcast also if you like what i'm doing over here please become a member of the youtube channel or you can go on patreon and you can uh, become a subscriber there too uh, many people don't like to support me financially through that so i've started a upi option also so you can send the money there too the details are on the website or you can buy the merchandise anyways i'll see you next time i i have a monologue lined up uh, next week i want to give my views on a lot of celebrity endorsements are happening these days so i'm going to give you a, a my views on uh, whether celebrity endorsements work and if they work how do they work so i'll see you guys next week until then namaste take care goodbye